And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not so famous cases of murder, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. That we do, Gabby. That we do. We love to just ruin all the things and crush the souls and crush spirits. The souls. <laughs> No, you know, it's funny It's because it, it comes up a little on what we're going to be talking about today, but like, I do feel bad at times. Do you? No, I, I, I genuinely do because, um, it reminds me a little of when, when, huh, pre-COVID, when I was regularly doing tours or, and, you know, I have people who'd come up and, uh, show me a picture or or tell me a story about something and they're so earnest and they're so excited and internally i have to think to myself do i tell them that their picture is a reflection of this do i tell them that this is probably what was happening or do i let them have this and you know it's it's hard cuz you're on the one hand you want to give factual information on the other sure. hand you're like i don't want to like they're so happy well, I think that's why a, a podcast is so great because people are choosing to listen to us debunk stuff. So that's true. That's true. And we don't always debunk. Sometimes no. we can't explain something. That's true. Very rare. But you know, it does yeah. happen. We do know that orbs are most of the time not ghosts. So there's that. There, there is that. There is that. We 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 I think we made somebody mad once when we said that. <laughs> it, happens. it happens. And you know, if we make you mad talking about orbs, we're sorry, but it, we just like to look at evidence. evidence. And and that is not to say, like, I have seen a handful of pictures of orbs that um I could not explain that were very convincing. I took one in the underground during a tour. I took a series of them of this like weird dancing orb in a section of the underground that it was dancing. Yeah, it was like in the picture, it was like moving around. It's I'll, I'll send you the pictures. It's pretty trippy. Uh, it's got and it's kind of green looking. It's um, I started That's showing weird. it to people on the tour because it it was odd and I couldn't pinpoint any source of a reflection. Nobody was moving. No one was kicking up dust. No one else was taking pictures. It was really trippy. I mean, that's one thing and that's like understandable. But when you say to people, go into the woods, take pictures with the flash and you tell them that these pictures of bugs are ghosts, that's a different story. That's different. Well, and again, nine times out of 10, I think most pictures of orbs, there's a rational explanation. But I I, I don't want people to think that the, the skeptic... Like I'm highly skeptical, but I I'm skeptical because I want the evidence to be good. I want you it want to, to be, be rational. I want to be rational, and I, yeah. I I want people. I want to be able to take something to somebody who is a 100% non-believer and show it to them and say, "All right, explain this to me." Then do it. Explain do it. it. Explain it. Do it. Do it. And they're like, "Please leave me alone." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> Well, I'm so excited to uh, go through this topic because you've been wanting to do this topic for so long now. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I actually, uh, I wanted to talk about this a year ago. I know. Um, as, as our last Christmas episode. Uh, but we decided it was too much of a bummer. <laughs> this year, it's not too much of a bummer, though. And it's yeah. okay. It's, you know, compared to what else is happening in the world, this is is still very much a bummer, but it's 2020. It's the year of the bummer. We're conditioned by this point, so we're it's gonna, fine. We're going to embrace it. We're going to embrace it. Um, 
Our, our story, though, it does begin with a tragedy in the early mornings of Christmas Day in 1945. Mm-hmm. But it turns into a mystery Ooh. that remains unsolved even now, 75 years later. So noted, I will not expect a solved mystery at the end of unsolved mystery. <laughs> there is no concrete solved moment. Uh, no, today we're going to be talking about the Sodder children. Ooh. So this story actually begins in Italy, where 13-year-old uh, Giorgio Sodu Ooh. left Sardinia. I'm probably saying all of these things wrong. Um, Italy to to emigrate to the United States with his older brother. Apparently, when he got to Ellis Island with his brother, his brother like looked around and was like, "Yeah, no, oh no." What happened? Turned around and went back to Italy. <gasps> Get out! Are you serious? I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> That's wild. So you've got this, you know, this poor kid, uh, thirteen, by himself in the United States. Uh, his name has now been changed because it's been Americanized. So his name is now George Sauter. That'll happen. What's kind of funny is when I first started researching this, uh, there was all of these allusions to George leaving Italy because he had some problems. There was some kind of trouble. Oh. But like, he's 13. <laughs> what kind of problems does a 13-year-old have? Right, like, I, most of this seems to stem from the fact he didn't really like to talk about his past in Italy. But that could have just as easily been something with his family or what was going sure. on politically. I mean, there's, there's a million reasons other than to think that like this, this 13 year old kid was some kind of criminal mastermind and was hiding a deep dark past. Maybe he did something really embarrassing that like a 13 year old boy would do to a girl. And he just got, had to get away. Couldn't live with the shame. <laughs> what like got an erection. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it is puberty, but you can't escape like, that by going to the U S no, no. Cause it's, it's probably going to get worse. <laughs> anyway. Touche. Yeah. So he, so George settles in West Virginia. Uh, it had a, uh, I, I did not know this about West Virginia. There is a small but thriving Italian community. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And he found work as a driver and eventually he started his own company hauling coal, other resources. And he met a young lady. Ooh. Yes. Named Jenny Cipriani, uh, who was also an Italian immigrant. Uh, she moved to the U.S. when she was three. Her father owned a store called The Music Box, and he went into the store and saw her, and it was love. That's really cute. It was super cute. They got married in 1922. They moved to uh, Fayetteville, West Virginia. And between 1923 and 1943, they had 10 children. They busy. They busy busy uh it's like a kid every other year and i'm exhausted even saying that i'm exhausted hearing it and no like no twins that's that's just 10 kids dang yeah so respect uh now according to the country magistrate they were quote one of the most respected middle class families around people liked them nice uh, George did have some strong feelings about Mussolini. If anyone is not familiar with Mussolini, he founded the fascist movement in Italy. He was a dictator. <laughs> and then he was executed in 1945. Uh, and George was not a fan. George and I have that in common. <laughs> Samesies. Yeah, Samesies. But, you know, Mussolini had supporters. Um, and not everybody in their Italian community loved that uh, 
George was as outspoken about his distaste for Mussolini. This sounds very familiar. I mean, I have to say the fact that George had distaste for Mussolini and was very outspoken about it makes me really like George. Yeah, I want to be friends with George. George sounds real cool. George sounds cool. So let's fast forward. uh, Christmas Eve of 1945. Nine of the 10 children are still living at home. The 10th was serving overseas. And I'm about to dump a lot of names and ages on you, so... (laughs) Ready for yourself. it. Yes. So there's the eldest, John, who is 23. Okay. George Jr., 16. Okay. Both of them worked with their father in the family business. Marion, the oldest girl, she was 17, worked at the local five and dime store. Then there was Maurice, who was 14. Martha, who was 12. Louis, who was nine. Jenny, not to be confused with mom, Jenny. This is younger Jenny. Jenny Jr. Jenny Jr. She was eight. Betty, who was five. And the youngest, Sylvia, who was two. Okay. So George and Jenny, you know, it's Christmas Eve. They're tired. They want to turn in for the night. But the younger children, Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty, they wanted to stay up and play with some new toys they had just unwrapped. Um, Their sister, Marion who the one that worked at the five and dine, she had brought home some presents that she'd gotten for them at work as a surprise. And they were really excited because kids, you know, Christmas. Right. So Jenny was like, all right, you can stay up as long as Marion is okay staying up and supervising you. She reminded Maurice and Lewis that they had to bring the cows in and feed the chickens before they went to sleep. So Jenny and George go upstairs. They take their two-year-old Sylvia to bed with them because her crib was still in their room. They go to bed. George Jr. and John, they worked with their dad. They've been working with their dad all day. They're tired. They're like, all right, we're going to bed. (laughs) Sure. Bye. We're, We're time for sleep. They slept in a room in the attic. So the children are playing with their toys. But by midnight, house is quiet. And as far as we know, everyone is in bed asleep. Sometime after midnight, Jenny is awoken by the ringing of the phone in George's office. And she answers it, and there's a woman on the other end, and she's asking for someone that Jenny doesn't recognize. And she's laughing, and she hears glasses clinking in the background. Jenny's like, all right, this is a wrong number. (laughs) Sure. Butt dial. Yeah, butt dial or, girl, you're drunk. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. Um, She hung up. Notice that the lights were still on and the door was unlocked. And she's like, ah, kids. So she, she turns off the lights, locks the door, goes back to sleep. Leaves the Christmas lights on, goes back to sleep. So she's awoken about 30 minutes after that because she hears something hitting the roof and rolling off. Santa! Santa, maybe a <gasps> raccoon. You know, like that's what I usually think Trash if Panda. I hear something on the roof. I, not in the city, but if I'm out like visiting someone. <laughs> it's always a raccoon or a possum. Love possums. Bunch of trash pandas. Trash pandas. Are possums trash pandas too? No, raccoons are trash pandas. Yeah. So what do you call a possum? Because they're equally into their trash. Really big rats. (laughs) But they're cute. They're so fluffy. And they got fluffy rats. Fluffy rat. I like them. I want to cuddle them. So anyway, (laughs) nothing to do with anything. Uh, Jenny hears a noise, doesn't think much of it, falls back asleep at approximately 1 a.m. She's awoken for the third time Dang. with the smell of smoke. Uh-oh. Yeah. 
and flames coming from George's office on the first floor. Not good. It's not good. So she wakes her husband up, grabs the baby, you know, yells up into the attic um, until George Jr. and John stumble out, their hair kind of singed. Marion's asleep on the couch. They wake her up. The staircase leading to the rooms where the other children are, though, is engulfed in flames. Oh, no. So they can't go up it. So they get outside and George is like, no, it's okay. Um, I keep a ladder on the side of the house. I'm going to use this ladder, climb to the upper window where the kid's room is and get them out. But the ladder isn't there. That's weird. That's weird. He has two of his coal trucks. So he's like, okay, I can drive them over and I can, can climb up and get into the window. Tries the first one. It won't start. That's Tries weird. the second one. That's weird. Tries the second one. It won't start. So he grabs a bucket to try to get water to put the fire out himself, but it's so cold the water is frozen. What? And frantic, he tries breaking a window to get back inside, cuts his arm up. Oh, no. But it's, he can't get in. And, and at this point... Four of the children are out, but five of them are still in the house. Oh, my gosh. That's got to be so terrifying as a parent. I can't even imagine. So 17-year-old Marion, she runs to the neighbor's house to get them to call the fire department. But the operators aren't responding. Because, you know, this is, again, 1945. Operator, operator, can you patch me through, too? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Not responding. There's no one there. So another neighbor drives into town. Family only lived about two and a half miles outside of town. It wasn't like they were in the middle of nowhere. Sure. Wakes up the fire chief, F.J. Morris. Unfortunately, it's 1945. There's no sirens at their fire department. It's mostly volunteer firefighters. A lot of them are still overseas because World War II is just ending. Sure. And it's also Christmas. So people are home with their families. And F.J. Morris can't drive the fire truck. Oh, no. Yeah. So the way they would respond to a fire is essentially a phone tree. So, like, he calls one firefighter. Who calls another firefighter? Who calls another firefighter? Do you think they actually had, like, a phone tree and that the tree picture was on fire? No. (laughs) No, no, I don't. (laughs) could have been fun sure (laughs) so it's it's 8 a.m before the fire department gets there woof so seven hours after the fire started seven hours at this point it's it's not a house it's a pile of ash and rubble and i want to throw out there because there's a lot of conspiracy theorists which are you know my favorite things in the world um And they think that all of this means the fire department was in on it. You know, they were in on some kind of conspiracy to make this house burn down. And like Jenny, Jenny had a brother in the fire department. And I think it, it just speaks more to a lack of good leadership, uh, uh, just kind of a poorly organized system. Uh, and honestly, the fire chief would later say, the fire was burning so fast, there was nothing they could have done. Right. So there wasn't a rush to get there because 
by the time they were informed of the fire, it would have been too late. So that's part of the reason why it took them so long to get there. Yeah. The the home was destroyed in 45 minutes. Holy crap. That's really fast. It's really fast. But I mean, think about it too. It's it's 1945. What's sure. the house made of? Wood. <laughs> Wood. That that's a, that's flammable. <laughs> it's flammable. And and this is a just a horrific tragedy. Um, the family is devastated, understandably, you know, overnight, five children gone. But this is where things start to get a little interesting. According to the fire chief, bone fragments and organs were discovered in the rubble. But they didn't want to upset the family, so they told them there were no remains. The, the fire burned so hot, it cremated any bones and, and any piece of them. And because it's Christmas, they looked at the scene for about two hours. Again, it's 1945. They're not really professionals. Sure. Two hours is nowhere near enough time to sift through a fire of that magnitude. Like, it would take days to do it properly. Right. So they told the family, don't touch anything. We're going to come back in a couple days to go through everything. But the scene was left open. It's not secure. It's not roped off. And a couple days later, George, in his grief, bulldozed and filled in the basement with dirt and leveled it so that they could make a memorial to their, to their children. That's so sad. It's really sad because it... <sighs> Should he have done it? No, but... He was devastated. He was grief-stricken. Uh, I, I can't judge what he did. Sure. But it, it means that now the basement is not accessible and anything that was down there, anything else that could have been in the rubble is destroyed. Evidence. 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 So death certificates are issued for the children. Everyone is mourning. It's, it's, it's very, very sad. Fire Chief Morris says the cause of the fire was faulty wiring. And this didn't really sit right with the family. How did they know that? That it was faulty wiring? Yeah. Oh, fire department magic. Like <laughs> they investigate, that they look for signs, or they're just looking for an excuse. Cause here's the thing. You remember when Jenny woke up and all the lights were on? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You remember how she left the Christmas tree lights on? Yeah. Those Christmas tree lights were still on as the fire was burning. Oh. That's not faulty wiring. No, that's like maybe the lights caught something on fire. There wasn't any sign of the lights catching thing on fire. And in fact, what's weird is that a couple months prior, George had had an electric stove put in. So everything had been inspected and, and passed. So that's weird, and they shouldn't have had any problems. They shouldn't have had any problems. So that's what they're already kind of thinking. And then a little bit after the fire, little Sylvia, little two-year-old Sylvia, she's playing on the property, and she finds this hard rubber object. And when they look at it, it appeared to be a type of napalm bomb. What? Commonly, it's commonly referred to as a pineapple bomb. So remember that thump? Of something hitting the roof? Not a trash panda. Not a trash panda. So what they're thinking more and more that this fire was deliberately 
set. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. If it was a bomb, wouldn't they have heard it explode? Or is it something that... Napalm bombs are different. Oh. <laughs> Not all bombs react the same. And so there's, there's bombs, yes, that go like bang, or there's grenades. But apparently right. napalm bombs can just catch things on fire. <laughs> just calmly and quietly. Calmly and quietly. Interesting. Yeah. So they kind of start looking through the events of the evening and all the other weird things that happened, like the ladder that should have been there that wasn't. They found it about 75 feet away from the house. That's super weird. And remember how all the phone lines weren't working? Yeah. Because someone cut them. That's the faulty wiring. The phone lines were cut? Yeah, because it's faulty. They were cut. Sure. Just Anyway, bad joke. And the cars that wouldn't turn on. They're examining all of their memories, both the ones from that night and from the weeks leading up to the tragedy. They remember that, and this is kind of morbid, but they didn't smell burning flesh. Oof. But that's five, five people in the house and burning flesh has a very distinct smell. They True. thought that was weird. The sons allegedly reported seeing a man watching the younger kids walking home not too long before the fire. And I say allegedly because here's the thing. This got reported frequently in the articles I was reading, Uh but I never found a source for it. Huh. And it does get a little disputed, but I'm putting it out there as something that gets reported. Sure. Um, there was the phone call, the weird phone call, but the police looked into that and it, it really does genuinely seem to have been a wrong number. So that was a woman. Had, it, no, it doesn't seem to have be any reason to think that was related. But they're, they're questioning everything. And then Jenny starts experimenting with burning different animal bones in their fireplace to see if there's remains and there was always remains. So then technically, there should have been remains in this fire. Part of what sparked it is that they did find, like, recognizable appliances still intact in in the rubble of the home. So they're thinking, well, if an appliance survived it, there should be something. Then a bone should survive it, too, A bone should survive. So they talked to a crematorium, and at 2,000 degrees for two hours, there's still bone fragments left. Okay. The weirdest yet, though, might be an encounter George had with an insurance agent who was trying to sell him life insurance policies. And, and some of the reports even say life insurance policies for the children. And George was like, go away. I'm not interested. And the guy lost it on him. And he said, your goddamn house is going to go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini. What? Yeah. That's like flashing red lights. Yeah, that's a little too on the nose. That's like specific. It's alarmingly specific. So they hire this PI, uh, Oscar C. Tinsley. Oh, I love that name. I know, it's a great name. Sometimes referred to as C.C. Tinsley. And he would also recover that the guy, the insurance agent who made these threats... The insurance agent was also serving on the coroner's jury that declared the fire an accident. 
Well, that seems like some shady shit right there. That is some shady shit. Hashtag shady shit. Hashtag shady shit. And George is also remembering uh, a stranger who came to their house a few months prior looking to to pick up some some odd jobs or some work. And he pointed to the fuse boxes in the house and said, this is going to cause a fire someday. What? Like, I... <laughs> This is all normal small talk people make. I know when I go over to someone's house, that's what I say. Yeah, there's a lot of fire hazards here. Hmm. It's like all the people that had anything to do with anyone who was involved with those comments had to do with the house going up in flames. It's it's weird. It is weird. And see, then the sightings start. Now, I will aliens? say... Yes, aliens. <laughs> I, I struggle with some of these sightings. Um... So there's there's the like small molder part of me that wants to take all of them at face value because I want to believe that these children are are out there and alive. And then there's the bigger part of my brain that's scully that is very very skeptical. Um but we're going to we're going to go over all the sightings, uh, at least some of the main ones. So this makes me very happy and I can't wait to hear your molder side. <laughs> so we're going to go through uh some of these sightings. Someone saw the children in the back of a car being driven away from the fire as it was going on. What? That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, One witness said she saw them on Christmas Day at about 50 miles away from from Fayetteville. Uh, Quote, I served them breakfast. There was a car with Florida license plates at the tourist court, too. That's weird. Yeah, in Florida, I suppose, would probably stand out. Uh, There was a hotel in Charleston that had another sighting about a week or so after the fire. A woman named Ida Crutchfield saw them, and she said, quote, the children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction. I do not remember the exact date. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the man appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. I sensed that I was being frozen out, and so I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. I I will say, (laughs) like, there were some prejudices against Italian immigrants. I mean, I'm sure. Immigrants, I know that's hard for people to believe that that anyone could be prejudiced against immigrants, but it's true. It did happen. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it's shocking. Uh, 1945, it wasn't quite as bad as it was in like the early 1900s for for Italians, but there was a lot of stereotypes and discrimination, uh, a lot of like, Catholic discrimination happening at this point. And I'm not saying that this woman was influenced by that. It's just the way she says, I don't know, Italian extraction. I, that that stands out to me. It, it made me kind of, huh? When the I, word extraction. It's the extraction that I find strange. Maybe that was just a normal way to describe people in the 1940s. But sure. I, I read that and went like, eh, like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I would do that too. I feel like if you say Italian descent, that yeah. makes more sense than That's, Italian extraction. Or even just Italian. <laughs> or just Italian, yeah, for sure. But extraction, I don't know. That the when I read her account, I was like, I oh hmm. not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. So in 1947, two years after, they write to the FBI to ask for their help. And J. Edgar Hoover personally sent them a response oh dang and he said quote although i would like to be of service 
The matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. However, he was willing to help if the local police agreed. They declined. Well, isn't that interesting? That is interesting. A couple years after the fire, George sees a photo from a, a school in New York City and a girl in a picture. He is convinced it's Betty. So he gets in his car, drives to New York to track this girl down. And like, I get it. It's your kid. If you think that this could be your kid and your kid is alive, you do it. Sure. So he finds this girl's family and her parents are like, go away. (laughs) They wouldn't talk to him. Well, and that's, I know that's like this random guy shows up and is like, hi, did you kidnap my daughter? is this child yours? I wouldn't talk to him. And that's not proof that these people are guilty or, or did it. It's, and I, I tried to get some more info on the story to see if there was really any actual reason beyond this picture of a girl who resembled his daughter, uh, that, that they weren't her biological family. And, and I saw nothing to support this other than again, she resembled his daughter. Sure. So, you know, they have this PI and uh, he's doing his job and, and he, he hears some rumors from the town minister, which makes me question how good a town minister you are, <laughs> that the police chief confessed to finding a heart in the rubble of the house. A heart? Like a human heart? Like a human heart. How did that not burn? Hold on to that question because we're going to get there. Okay, sorry. So. Allegedly, he found this heart and he buried it in a dynamite box at the side of the fire. So they're like, okay, um, That's we, would like, we would like to see this, this organ. <laughs> and so they, they dig it up. And not only is what's inside not a heart, it's not human. It's fresh beef liver. What? Some reports say it was pig, but most say beef. And it's so utterly bizarre. One of the theories is that he wanted to provide closure for the family, and so he buried beef liver. Hey. But uh, and another theory is that that he had found organs, but had disposed of them and didn't have anything to show, but didn't want to admit that he had just like chucked some you know remains. So he did that to kind of save his butt. So by August of 1949, they hire a pathologist to uh, excavate the basement. And they find a few shards of human vertebrae. So they send these shards to the Smithsonian for testing. And they are human. And this is another, like, depending on the reporting, because I read a lot of articles that place the age of the skeleton as even younger. The piece of vertebrae, excuse me, is even younger. But most reports say the vertebrae belonged to somebody who was 16 or 17. And the oldest child that had been in the fire was Maurice, who was 14. Okay. So is it possible that a 14-year-old could could have a vertebrae that appears to be a little older? Sure. But the bone fragments showed absolutely zero signs of having been in a fire. That's shady. That's strange. So it means it got there one of two ways. Either someone 
planted them there in hopes that they're being found. Sure. Maybe Chief Morris. Or when George filled in the basement with soil, the bone fragments were already in the soil, which means we got a whole other mystery on our hands because then whose bones are they? Sure. And this is pre-DNA testing. Uh, From what I could find, the bone fragments were given back to George and then no one knows where they might be, which really sucks because you'd be able to pull DNA from them now and... That could potentially, I mean, it could at least say for sure whether or not it had belonged to one of the children. Right. So they go to the West Virginian governor, Oki Patterson. Oh, I like that person's name. Can you Me say too. it again? Oki Patterson. How is that spelled? O-K-E-Y. Oki! Oki! I know, I, I enjoy just saying that. Uh, they ask him for help. He calls a hearing and and ultimately says, nope, this case is closed because it is quote-unquote hopeless. Oh my gosh, that's so mean. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's funny. It's super mean, but I I understand a little where he was coming from in that when I was doing research, I was reading a bunch of articles from the early 50s, and they were very vocal that they thought the case had been mishandled, that they weren't getting any support from law enforcement, that they weren't getting any help from anyone. And from the governor's perspective, there was no evidence evidence to suggest, at least evidence that he thought was valid to suggest that they had not died in the fire. So it's, it, it feels really cold and cruel, but I, I can also sort of understand that it's like, listen, we wish we could help you. We wish there was a reason to help you. But unless there is a compelling piece of evidence to suggest they didn't die in the fire, for us, we can't put the resources or the money behind it. That makes sense. But it also just sucks. It completely sucks. This whole case sucks. It's sad. No matter what the outcome, it's sad. If they died in the fire or if they got spirited away, it is really sad. Sure. Uh, so the, the family sets up a billboard in 1952 on their property, and the billboard remains until 1989. Dang. Almost 40 years this billboard is up. And it's, you know, it's got pictures of them. It has the story. It's offering a reward. So they're, they're getting calls, they're getting letters, they're getting leads, uh, someone claiming that Martha was in a convent in St. Louis, and another lead that they're in Mexico, um, a driver who said he saw balls of fire being tossed onto their roof the night of the fire. What? That's one, that bomb. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, too, it looks like the fire started on the roof, and so that, that could be a very legit lead but sure. uh, another person who said that someone they knew had gotten drunk and confessed to being lewis Sauter, and lewis was the one he was nine at the time of the fire and so george you know tracks this guy down the guy's like i don't i don't know what she was talking about <laughs> oh no just like drunk dialed i don't know man it's weird um the craziest though it, this is also for me the most heartbreaking is a picture that was sent to the family. In 1968, someone sent a picture to Jenny, and Jenny only, 
that was postmarked in Kentucky, no return address. And inside is a picture of a young man who very greatly resembles Louis. And Louis, again, had been nine at the time of the fire. And on the back was this message. Louis Sauter, I love Brother Frankie, Lil Boys, A90132 or 35. Wait, what? I know. Who knows? And there's no like letter with it or anything. It's just the picture. Just the picture with that on the back. That's wild. That's really wild. So they and they they hired a PI to look into it. But then the PI, like they paid him. PI was never heard from again. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. That's also very shady. It's almost like the government knows about it and like is manipulating the situation. This feels very not sure, I'm not sure how you went to government. Like that to me just sounds like a crackpot. <laughs> I mean, the way the reason I think it's a government thing is because the lack of support that they receive from it, like the investigation. And then if a PI just goes missing. Hold hold on to that because PI goes missing after he got paid. I How mean, do you think okay. he, he probably just got his money and just yeah, he got his money and pe- he was a dick. Like he, he got his money and peaced out. I don't think there's a conspiracy there. I think that's that's why you don't pay someone before a job. Sure, in general, like in life, that's yeah, a life. life. That's a good life lesson. Um, hold hold on to some of your suspicions because I'm going to circle around in a bit. To, You're going to scully. I'm going to scully some things, but I okay. wanted to get the whole story as I wanted to tell this whole side of the story. Cause this is the side of the story that is most commonly told. Got it. And then I'm going to scully some things and okay. I want to see if you still feel the same. You might. Okay. Okay. But that's fair. That's fair. Keep moldering. I appreciate all this moldering that we're doing. I really I'm, love it's, it. That's for Christmas. It's my Christmas present to you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. I love it so much. They were so convinced by this picture though this picture of this this young man who they think was Lewis, um, they added it to the billboard. Oh, wow. And they had a copy of it for their mantle place. Wow. So they must yeah. have, like, really thought it was him then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame them, though. I feel like it's just that they're, like, grasping at straws at that point. And, again, understandable. Right. And there's, you know, there's all these theories. Um that they were kidnapped and sent to Italy in retaliation for what George was saying about Mussolini. Also though, Mussolini's dead. So who cares? <laughs> uh, at one point, police and FBI records apparently showed that um, they thought maybe Jenny's family had, had taken them to Florida and some of her family in Florida had to actually prove that their children were their children. Oh my God. That's crazy. Uh, there was a theory that the mafia took them and on that one, uh, a man named George Martins, who was the former head of the crime commission that covered West Virginia, he had said in response to that theory, the mafia didn't do the, this sort of thing. <laughs> oh, so to be fair, that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about a year before he died, George said, time is running out for us, but we only want to know if they did die in the fire, we want to be convinced Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. And yeah, I get it. He died in 1968. And from there, Jenny kind of took over the cause. Uh, She wore black all the time, tended to the garden, memorial for the children, kept the billboard up. 
an article that ran in the Charleston Daily Mail in August of 1976. Um, she continued to emphasize the lack of support from law enforcement. And she said, I'm going to fight this thing out and nothing is going to get me to give up hope that my children are still alive. Oh, that's so sad. She died in 1989. And that's what led to the family finally taking the billboard down. But both George and Jenny died thinking that their children had lived through the fire and had been taken from them. That's really sad. It's really sad. And this whole case is sad. And like, because I'm about to scully some things and I kind of feel like an asshole sculling some of these things because <sighs> no matter what, these are just people in pain who suffered an unbearable tragedy. For no sure. one should have to bury their child and no one should have to bury five of their children. Or like not know. Or not, or not know. Or feel there. like they, yeah, it's, it's, it's just sad. This case is sad. That being said, I need to scully a couple things. And I'm sorry. And if you want to turn it off now, because I'm about to scully a couple things, turn it off. If not, stay with us. We love stay the scully. Us. All right. So let's go back to our night in question. House is on fire. The older children are fleeing the house. In the original report he gave to police, 23-year-old John, he said he shook his younger siblings, at least two of them, to try to get them to wake up and leave. That places them in the house at the time of the fire. Now, his parents would say that he felt guilty, and that's why he said it. And later the story was is that he just yelled at them to come down and never actually saw them. Police experts say that generally the first statement given is the truthful one. And this was the first statement he gave. That's interesting. That is interesting. And John is also one of the only children who flat out refuses to talk about it or did. He has passed and thought that everyone should move on and put it to rest. Four different People, including Jenny's brother, as well as the local priest, reported seeing remains the next morning. That's really weird. Unless there were remains, in which case it's not well, weird. It's, I think what's weird is that you have these reportings, but that that wasn't referenced by other people. Well, but that goes back to... What I said in the beginning, which is that the police chief said they found remains but didn't want to upset the family, so they didn't tell them. I guess, yeah. Okay. It tracks. That actually tracks with what was originally said. Now, it's a dick move. It's not something you could do today. No. But it does track with what was said. There's the thing about the burning flesh. They didn't smell burning flesh. It was a windy night. And you would have to be standing downwind to smell something, right? Usually. Who stands downwind of an active fire? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> not unless you have a death wish. Yeah. So, yeah, you're probably not going to smell burning flesh. 
Also, you'd probably smell smoke more than yeah. burning flesh. Yeah, I don't actually know because I can't say I've ever, you know, tested this. <laughs> I mean, flesh has a very distinct smell. When a house is on fire, I'm not sure if you're going to pick out differences of sense. Body. Well, yeah. It's different if the only thing on fire is the body. That sounds awful that I'm saying that. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. It, I don't, and I, I actually, I don't know. This is not an experiment I've ever done. We're not going to do this experiment, everyone, just so you know, we're not just doing so it. <laughs> so what about, though, the remains? Could they have found some organs? Um, Stacey Horn did a piece for NPR and uh, then later on did a blog post that included some really great additional material that had to get cut in order to shorten the piece a little because the piece can only be so long. So I want to give her credit because I got a lot of really great information from her blog post. Nice. Um, she had talked to a couple experts about what happens in a fire to see if some of the things that were reported versus what the family thought, what, where this kind of lands. So West Virginia State Fire Marshal Sterling Lewis said, in a fire, when the rest of the body is absolutely almost destroyed, whatever would be left of entrails a lot of times will turn just a beautiful shade of red. And that's what we look for because when you're black and you're grays of all the char and everything, this red, it just jumps out at you. So even in these crazy fires, you could find organs. That's really interesting in the way that that was described too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something they actively look for because right. it stands out. Right. Okay. So let's say the kids are inside. Why did the family not see them pounding at the window or trying to get out? Because apparently in fires, children under the age of like, 13, 12, 13, they don't try to get out. They hide. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. They hide from the smoke. They hide under their beds. They hide in the closet. One of the firefighters that had been interviewed talked about, you know, it's heartbreaking, but you find a lot of the bodies of children under beds or in places where they've been trying to hide from it. That's so sad. <laughs> it's really sad. It's really, really sad to think about. Uh, but it's also possible that they never woke up. They could have also been, um, had like smoke. Smoke. Yeah. Affect their like consciousness. Cause if, if John did try to wake them up before he fled the house, which PS no blame whatsoever for John saving himself. Right. Like beyond the fact that he's panicking and there's a fire, he needs to get out. And, and he tried to wait, maybe, he tried to wake them up and couldn't and left. So it's possible they'd already inhaled a lot of smoke and, and were not conscious. How about the ladder? The ladder that was always against the house and then was found. Well, what's interesting about the ladder is this actually answers one of the other mysteries, which is the phone lines. The night of the fire, someone tried to rob their garage guy oh. named Lonnie Johnson he tried to steal a, a block and tackle which is something you can use to like remove engines at a tool he used the ladder to cut the phone line so he could rob them so that's why they couldn't get an operator did he do anything to their cars the cars and this comes back to um he didn't at least not that he admitted to but here's the thing nobody questioned him 
about anything. Like they charged him. I think he got what? fined for trying to, but nobody was like, Hey dude, did you, did you do something? Did you see something? And I'm not saying that he did it. I'm just saying it's weird to me that that was never something that pieced into the equation. I agree. That's wild. So the cars now, yes, it's possible they were tampered with. It's also possible that in their rush and haste and panic, they flooded the engines. Oh, 1945 trucks. <laughs> but Kim, you might be saying the fire only burned for 45 minutes. That's not enough time to burn up the bones. Except that's not really true. The house came down in 45 minutes. It doesn't mean the fire stops burning or it's not hot. Details. It burned all night. It smoldered. When the fire department got there, it was still hot and they had to water everything down in order to start going through it. And how long? Yeah. How long did it take them? Seven hours or eight hours. hours. Seven hours. So really, you've got this heat going on for seven hours. Which is then enough time. Yep. Okay. And let's look at those eyewitness accounts. Uh, Ida Crutchfield, who had said, you know, the four Italians and the children... She came forward right away, right? No. No. She didn't say anything until 1952. She didn't even see a picture of the children until two years after the fire when it started getting media attention. So two years afterwards, she sees a picture and she's like, hmm, I think two years ago, I maybe saw them around this time. I saw at least somebody. I saw some Italians. That's what she saw. She saw some Italians. So she's just guessing that it's the same Italians. It's, it's a stretch. <laughs> so we can say that this is not a reliable source. Well, and that none of these sightings, the, the sighting of the kids in the car going away from the fire, the restaurant, the hotel, in none of these sightings are the children crying in distress. Like... They're just acting like normal kids. They're acting like normal kids. I, I mean, I think about like the kids that they see in the car. Well, it's, you know, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning. Maybe family driving home from seeing family, a party that went on too long and they load their kids in the car and they drive home. It's an Italian community. And like, you know, I grew up Catholic. Catholics are all about lots of babies. Sure. So having a family of four, five, six children, that's not unusual for the area. So... It's not that there is not weird stuff in this case. There is definitely weird stuff in this case. Like, do I think the fire was started deliberately? Yeah, I do. Sure. Do I think that the children died in the fire? Yeah, I do. It doesn't mean I don't hope that they didn't. Sure. Like, I want to embrace that molder. Uh, and, and the children lived and they went on and had lives. But the evidence for me suggests otherwise, and I would happily be proven wrong if we can ever get a truthful answer. I don't know. What do you think? I'm kind of, I see both sides. I kind of see, like, obviously, if there were bones found in the fire, that is like, yes, somebody died. That's why there's bones there. But also, maybe not everybody died. Maybe some people died and not everybody did. And so maybe that, like, half of them were kidnapped? 
I mean, you have to think about timing, right? Like if there's that many kids, there's five kids that died, right? Yeah. So if they have five kids that whoever is trying to get out of the house, that takes time and it burned quickly. So Mm -hmm. maybe not every single kid made it. Maybe like two people made it and then three were found in the, or like bodies. But if the children were kidnapped, they were kidnapped before the fire because there's no way they wouldn't have been seen. Like they couldn't have gotten out once the fire was starting. And again, if they, if they were kidnapped during the fire, they would have been in the house. Like that, there's no, if they were kidnapped, it happened before the fire started. I was thinking more so like during the fire. Is no, there's happened. no way. Cause you, beyond the fact that you wouldn't willingly go into a house that's on fire. Remember that that staircase was on fire. That's true. And that's why they couldn't get to the children. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of hypotheticals, but the one thing that sticks in my mind that makes me question it is that photo that was sent to them that looked like You mean the, the photo kid. of an Italian-looking young man? I mean, if it looked a lot like him to the point where the family was like, this is him, yeah, or maybe... Again, look at a picture of a nine-year-old and look at a picture of, like, a 30-year-old. It's different, yeah. It's different. And I'm, like, I'm sorry. I say this with the utmost respect for the family, too. They wanted it to be him. Oh, for you can sure. Look at the picture. The picture you can find the pictures online. Um, we'll have to post them. It's not that I'm looking at it being like that. Definitely isn't him. But there's, I'm not looking at the picture being like, oh yeah, sure, that's definitely this kid. Twenty years later, it was what? It was '68. Was when uh, when they got the picture. Mm-hmm. The fire was in '45. So that's 23 years later. Yeah. So it would have been he would have been like 31 or so. <laughs> it's a black and white picture. Sure. Well, I think, too, is that there's not enough actual evidence of anything. Right. And even I I think what I struggle with personally whenever I hear about stories like this happening not in the current state of how we analyze crimes or fires, my brain always wants to go to the current technology that we have, right? But we don't have it. We don't have that for this case at all. And, like, we don't even have enough information about this case to make that type of conclusive the the thing is and this is kind of where i come back to the lack of police help and i do wonder if some of it is because the police are like listen all of our evidence shows that the kids died that night there's no because show me one piece of compelling evidence from a law enforcement standpoint where i could say yep this is worth me opening up my case I feel like the one thing that stands out to me is that they didn't show the bones to the family. Right. right. And, that. And, that, and, and that's legit. But there is also the possibility that virtually anything that was in the fire was destroyed. And then the father bulldozed everything. Right. He kind of messed up their entire Unintentional. Situation. It wasn't as, right. you know. And it was one of the articles I read. I, I can't remember which one it was. I'll have to go back and look. But had pointed out, and I found this to be very interesting, that... It's sort of not unlike people who have a loved one um, die by by suicide, mm. who cannot believe their loved one would commit suicide, so it had to have been murder. I could see and that. I thought, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it, that, that some of it is grief and some of it is the not hell? wanting this reality be true and so it is easier for me to process this if 
I think that that it wasn't that there was a fire and the kid and I didn't get the kids out and that it was a perfect storm of just nothing working out and everything being kind of wrong that led to the children being trapped inside or believe that because all right sure okay somebody kidnapped them who kidnapped five children why have the children never because some of these kids tell me again the oldest one that that the oldest of the children who were may or may not have been in the house was 14 that's not too young to remember no that's not too young to not come forward at some point or not too young to like act like nothing was wrong like yeah. if they were seen by other and people i think you know you've got a 14 year old boy and a what 12 i mean like you you have for the most part you know the youngest that was five was the little one but like you had a 14 and a 12 and a eight or nine and a five like these are not babies these are kids and teenagers Mm -hmm. teenagers who could struggle how do you get a 14 year old boy silently out of the house i mean how do you get a 14 year old boy to do anything but 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 i mean you know what i mean like i guess that's sort of where i come back to also i'm like all right let's say yes you're right they were they were taken from the home five children not little children were taken from the home how unless by gunpoint or something like but all of them they were in different rooms yeah, I feel like it would have had to... And you'd be, have to have multiple people then. If you've got yeah. one person, one gun, and five kids, I don't know, maybe. But then for the rest of their lives, you're holding them at gunpoint? Like, if if they were taken, why and who? I don't know. I feel like it's way more simplistic than we're making it out to be and then other people have made it out to be because if you have people that were like actively threatening the family for liking Mussolini and then they found bones and unfortunate circumstances caused them not to be able to recover said bones it is what it is period because like again I think the fire was deliberately set oh for sure 100% and so I come back to some of those threats and I see that about the fire being set I don't see that about them taking the trouble to then steal five of their children no, I don't think that's related. I think it's just that the kids end up dying in it. Yeah, yeah. And it, I would love to be wrong. Um, and and our our listeners are happy to <laughs> reach out and tell me how wrong I am. Uh, but looking at everything, uh, I don't see anything that really makes sense as to who or how they would have taken these kids and then kept them silent all those years. Something would have had to come out of it. Something would have had to come out of it. Cause I I don't, unless particularly again, the teenagers like, yeah, sure. Five-year-old. Yeah. You could, you could uh, send her back to Italy and, and have her adopted with another family and, and kind of Stockholm syndrome syndrome or brainwash or whatever. Yeah, sure. Five is young enough. I, I could buy that. Sure. 14? No. 12? No. You want to get a 14-year-old to do anything? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's... Anything. I mean, and you can only threaten somebody for so long. Sure. And to what end? If it was for ransom, no ransom demands ever came. Well, I also think, too, like, the more noise the family made about it, yeah, the more 
you know, other people who were strangers might have wanted a reward. Maybe someone needed oh, yeah. money. Or, or people who just like getting involved or who are, have some problems. Like, right. I mean, look at look at the the guy that confessed to killing JonBenet Ramsey a number of years ago. And yeah. he didn't, but he has some some issues and he confessed to it and he was arrested and then he didn't know some of the things he should have known if he had done it. Like, that's not uncommon for people to think they'd committed crimes they didn't or for people to want to insert themselves into investigations or for people who are just assholes and playing pranks. Like, yeah. look at how many people, like the, the missing persons tip lines, they get all these false tips from from pranks, you know? So the the picture that was sent, maybe it was sent by someone who genuinely thought it was the kid and said, wow, yeah, doesn't he look like him? Or maybe it was somebody being a dick. It almost makes me think of the call that they received, the like weird call that night. The the, the woman who was drunk and having a party yeah. is how I think about her. Like she was obviously having a Christmas party and calling somebody and probably to like Hit booty the call wrong and number and been like, Johnny, why don't you should come out and <laughs> having a party? Like that's what it sounded like to me. And then little did she know what would ensue. Yeah. But uh, I mean again, there's a reason that there's a reason the police they did look into it and they were like, yeah, there's nothing here. <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm just so surprised that the police didn't look more into the guy who tried to rob them. Like I feel like I don't if know if was there was a ball. connection. I don't know if there was an actual connection with that or if that was just a really unfortunate pattern See, I, of events. I think it was a really unfortunate pattern of events. I think it was part of a perfect storm. I don't think it I don't think he had anything to do with the fire. Um Unless unless he said it as a distraction, but that seems kind of weird. I don't know. I think it's unfortunate nobody looked more into that. Yeah. That, to me, is the biggest ball that was dropped. I think that if there were remains found and the, they didn't disclose that to the family, that's criminal. Um, yeah. And it, it sucks because in trying to spare them pain, they created more pain. Right, for the rest of their lives. Yeah. But I, I also feel like, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, Jenny. Jenny is, to me, such a great example of this tragedy because she never stopped mourning and she never stopped. It it did sort of consume the rest of her life. And I also, my God, to lose five children. I don't know how it wouldn't consume the rest of your life. And and then right. to lose your husband, um, you, you need something to put your energy into. So it, it's... I sort of understand how it could happen, but like, so today the only family member still alive is Sylvia, who was, who was two when the tragedy took place. Um, and her daughter also named Jenny, uh, is actually the one she, she pops up on some internet forums and in interviews. She was quoted as saying, my mom promised my grandmother that she would never let the story die. That's what my brother and I are doing now. And on the one hand, I'm like, that's lovely. That's, they're, they're keeping this alive. And on the other hand, I'm like, <sighs> because they also genuinely believe that they disappeared that night. And well, there's no closure. There's no closure. Yeah. Um, and it's and too much time has passed to try to get anything from that site now. I I am really curious what happened to those bone fragments that got sent back to George. That I think it's really really too bad that that those have disappeared because getting that tested would be 
That would solve everything, wouldn't it? Well, it wouldn't necessarily solve everything, but it, it's it's possible they'll test them and find out that that they belong to one of the children. Yeah. It would be really cool if they had access to any of the remains to do tests now. If the, well, some kind of closure. I mean, even knowing there was remains for sure, right. having a record of it, having them have been buried somewhere, like the the reports that there was remains, people who reported seeing them, the fire department initially saying they found some. Um, if there was a way to track that there were or where they ended up, then yep, that could also answer some questions. So it's it's... It's another also instance of a case that's 70 years old and was mishandled. And there's a lot of stuff we will probably never really know. Hence unsolved. Hence unsolved. But I, I stand by my belief that the fire was set deliberately, but that the children died in the fire that night. I and think that, now that we talked about it, I will agree. And again, I would love to be wrong. I would love for them to have survived. Um, but I, I think it was a grieving family who then kind of let it dictate the rest of their life. And that's where I look at their at John, the oldest, who was just like, I nope, uh, I, I'm not going to talk about it and I'm not going to get involved in this either because he did actually try to wake the children up and couldn't or because he just didn't want to spend his life. (sighs) But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very sad. It's, it's, it's a tragedy. And uh, that is the solder children. Your, your weekly bummer from ghoulish tendencies. (laughs) We're going to call them the sadder children because it's the saddest of the cases. This brings us to Creepy Critics Corner. Creepy Critics Corner. Kim. What you watching? Uh, well, I am now firmly in my watching uh, Santa horror movies and, and horror Christmas movies, as well as the occasional Hallmark movie, because those are also horrifying. Uh, <laughs> Just in a different way. In a different way. I recently watched a film called 3615 Code Père Noël, also oh. known as in the U.S. as Deadly Games or Dial Code Santa Claus or Game Over or Hide and Freak. That's a lot of names. names. If you try to look up the English name for it, like a lot of different options are going to come up. But um, it's a a, a French horror film from uh, 1989. And it's basically like Home Alone with a killer Santa and with actual grit and stakes. Okay. Like real stakes and not, you know, family movie stakes. Like it's 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 a horror film about a a kid who who you know this this unstable guy who thinks he's santa breaks into his home and he's trying to to save him and his grandfather but it's uh it it was kind of delightful it's it's um you know there's there's a couple moments that are a little like but it it was creepy and and the the little boy who was actually apparently the actor who played little boy was the director's son, but he's really good. Uh, 
the guy playing the the creepy Santa is really good. The actors are all really good, and it's it's a good time. Um, nice. I also watched something called Better Watch Out, which oh. is the, another another Christmas horror film. This one's from just a couple years ago, and man, it's it's kind of messed up, but it's a it's a young cast, uh, basically a girl is babysitting a 12 year old boy and, and she's been babysitting for a long time. And, and, uh, he kind of has a crush on her and then someone breaks into the house and dun, dun, dun. It, it's, uh, it's messed up, but I enjoyed it. Um, mostly because the actor, no, like the, it's, it's a young cast for the most part. And the actors are all really, really good. Um, the kid, especially who plays, uh, the 12 year old, um, Luke is the character's name. Uh, the actor is Levi Miller. Like, damn, he is good. And I think with different actors, the movie wouldn't work, but they have such a strong cast. You're like, yeah, I'm in for this. Okay. So that's what I've been watching. What you've been watching. I feel like your description of it was messed up, but I liked it is like the definition of all things that you watch. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Even the Hallmark movies are messed up. Yeah. Liked it? But you like question mark? <laughs> and I like it. We'll never know. I've watched a few things. I just watched the season finale of Mandalorian last night, mm. which holy shit balls. Um, if you're, if you haven't watched it yet, you should watch it. I'm not going to say a word literally. Like, I'm just going to say that there were jaws on the floor (laughs) at the end of that episode and the whole season's really great. I mean, all of it's really great. I don't watch the show, but nobody on the internet has any chill. And so I knew the ending within like, by like Friday evening, I feel like I was seeing everyone on Facebook losing their mind. And I was like, oh, well, it's a good thing I don't really care about spoilers because i'd be real mad otherwise (laughs) which is why i'm not saying anything right now for any of our (laughs) listeners who watch mandalorian or maybe are behind or haven't watched it yet and want to watch it um highly recommended it's done so well and i love that every single episode is directed differently um and so like you get lots of different perspectives and it's so highly emotional but subtle at the same time nice. it's a nice little balance um and baby yoda grogu is his name is the cutest thing i've ever seen in my entire life and i fully i don't want a kid i want grogu i don't need a pet i want grogu that's fair you know um but yeah i watched that and then i also I like to, now that we are, you know, we're not going to movies at this point in time, but they're still coming out. I generally like to just sit and watch a bunch of trailers and see what's new and what looks good and what I might want to actually spend money on. Um, And this movie came out recently this year called Save Yourself. Have you heard of it? Why is that ringing a bell? It's a very indie movie and it's got a lot of um, dry humor. Uh, but it basically is about a couple who live in Brooklyn who are very like hipster-esque yes, that yes. Are, are very much like absorbed in their technology and phones. And I like literally looked at Terrence and I was like, it's us. We need to put our phones down. Like we're always on our phones, especially now we're at home all the time. Like yeah. it's hard to not be super consumed by social media and the internet. And, you know, I think all of us kind of struggle with that a oh, bit yeah, definitely. in general. Definitely. Uh, and this is something that if you feel that way, you'd identify with. Uh, but this couple basically decides to 
Shut off their phones for a week, not go on their computers, not check their email, like literally fully shut off of the internet for a whole week Ooh. and go to a cabin in the woods and just hang out and relax and like be in nature. And they ultimately figure out that they have no skills, which I think is very funny because it's <laughs> it's accurate to a lot of people in our like the age bracket that this affects um, because things that we consider to be skills may not be like physical skills that most other people would identify. Um, and ultimately uh, there's an alien invasion. Nice. And how they, the aliens are these like poofy, cute little things that look like, I forgot the name of them, but they're from Star Trek. Oh, like the, the little, Tribbles? Yes, they look like Tribbles. Aww, um, and so like they're cute, but then they kill things. And so it's a very funny, it's almost, it has a bit of like a sci-fi horror aspect to it, but it's okay. also very dry humored. So I don't know. I think you should watch it. I don't know if you'll like it, but it's worth a watch. Um, <laughs> you should watch it. You might not like it, but you should watch it. I, I don't know. Sometimes you hate things that I think you're going to like, so I never really know what how to What did I change. hate that you thought I was going to like? Uh, I mean, many things. <laughs> I feel like it's not just one. Um, but that's neither here nor there. It's it's a, definitely, it's like a Sundance indie film. Um, and I, I thought it was good. Some of the people that are in it are within like the New York comedy scene. So like I knew who some of them were based on that. Um, so I thought that was great. And I also went through the entire season of season one, The Great, which is on Hulu. Mm. And it's about uh, Catherine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's on my list. Yeah funny dark mm -hmm. also serious so it's a nice balance yeah. um i think you would really enjoy that show yeah that's that's one i like historical stuff like that it's uh it's been on my list for a while it's uh there's too many there's too much good television and movies <laughs> and i mean that's not a bad thing <laughs> it's not i know i just i wish i i wish both that i had more time but also there's times where i sit down and I'm like, I could watch something new or I could watch Parks and Recreation for the 500th time or Hannah. And that's for feel the good. Time. Yeah. I'm going to do that. <laughs> I mean, you do you, but just know that it's there yeah. whenever you want to watch it and it's good. <laughs> I think you'll like it. Um, and I think, I think it's Elle Fanning is, is the, I like Elle Fanning too. Yeah. The lead. Yeah. She's, she's pretty great in it. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been watching and also prepping for my next topic, which I'm very excited to yeah. share with you guys. And then yeah. it'll be the first of the new year. It will be. Cause this comes out the 29th. So yes. Happy new year. <laughs> happy. Goodbye. 2020. Bye. 2020. Bye. Bye. We are very aware that nothing will actually change the second it's January 1st, 2021. But, but it's mentally, we need a benchmark. We need we something do. that just... And we need a light at the end of that tunnel, which is hopefully in 2021. So happy new year to everybody. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season mm -hmm. and staying safe out there. And if you want a um, good recommendation, I wanted to recommend a podcast actually really quickly. Oh. If you're not familiar with it, it's more, it, it's on the spooky side of things. So it'll definitely be up this alley for anyone who likes us. It's called the Strange and Unusual Podcast by Allison Horrocks. Nice. And um, I've listened to quite a bit of it. They have some great art. She writes some short stories that are horror-based and reads them and does a great job. So Ooh. it's not necessarily the same thing as what we do, but 
it's similar. Mm-hmm. And if you like a story time moment, if you have some time off because you it's the holidays and you want to listen to something, that's always a fun thing to listen to. Cool. But um, having said that, thank you for listening. And check out our Patreon if you haven't already. There's some additional content on there um, that I've added. There's some new bloopers. There's a <laughs> Christmas a Victorian ghost story on there for you. And there'll be more to come. We have lots of bloopers lined up for you. So (laughs) we'll never run out of those. Don't you worry your little hearts. Uh, And that is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcasts on Patreon. We also have our Instagram, which is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. And we like to post fun things on there. You can find us uh, posting stories and actual posts of things relevant to our episodes and also just stupid fun memes because we love a good fun meme like the Donner one that Kim sent to me. That made me laugh for a really long time. If you don't know what we're talking about, now you got to go look at it. Go look at it. Podcast on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. It's Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We have our website, ghoulishtendencies.com. All of our social media is on there. All of our show notes are on there. Every single episode is on there. If you just want like a one-stop shop, check that out. We also have a Twitter. It is Ghoulish Pod. And having said that, stay spooky.